0: Greetings old Haliburians and members of the wider Haliburie community wherever and whenever you are listening to this From the Archives podcast. This is Keith White from the Class of 62, bringing you the 15th of our regular podcast series, which includes audio material from the Haliburie archives. But firstly, our quiz question from Bill Waters.
1: Hello Keith, here's today's quiz question. Bob
2: Stettergreen was recently awarded the OHA medal. How many times has the OHA medal been awarded? And who was the first recipient? I'll be back later.
0: Thanks, Bill. This month, we feature the Founder's Day Address, delivered in inimitable style by 2019 OHA medal winner Bob Sedegreen from the class of 1960. But first up this month, we have an edited extract from a presentation prepared by the family of Halebury's fourth headmaster, Sholto Black, to mark the opening in 2005 of the Sholto Black Vicenage at Kiesbra, named in his honour. The narrator is Sholto's granddaughter, talking to Sholto's daughters Mary and Nan, who reminisce fondly about their time as young girls at the school. In recognition of Sholto's Māori heritage, they use the word Thano in the sense of an extended family with deep spiritual connections.
3: Colto became the principal of Halebury College, a Presbyterian boys' school in 1942. He is credited with transforming and rebuilding the school during the difficult war years. Mere Tanks explains.
4: With his appointment as headmaster, it was probably the beginning of the phase of growth for Halebury, which is now a huge school and has expanded into several other schools. So when he came, he really had a huge job because there were under 100 pupils. So he set about building the school up and also he set about building a boarding school up, which was no mean task, and running a boarding school in those particular times. He had teaching and his studies to prepare. He had to deal with the, the college council. He had to look at progressing buildings and growth. He had to cope with the church school, which demanded weekends of sport and religion. And, and he had to do all that in a persuasive manner that would, would still look at working in the community in order that he could obtain pupils. They didn't pay him very much at all, and even when he retired compared to today, he was on very lean rations, really. He had to go out and, and meet people and, and engage people that also had vision. He was often looked at as, as, as a complete
3: dreamer. Nan and Mede Sholto's daughters, share their memories of the early school and the end of the war years.
5: But well, I can remember Dad being extremely busy, so with best intentions, he couldn't see a lot of us. I remember everybody breathed a sigh of relief when the war was over. I was walking down Hampton Street and I heard it, heard people talking about it, and I remember the terrific relief we all felt. I can remember Dad and Mum going out quite a lot in the evening and having to get babysitters for Mary and
4: I. It was actually a load of fun, because Nan and I lived in what was almost a great big park. The only restrictions placed on us as children was that we could not go to certain areas, like around the back of the buildings where the boys might be showering. But apart from that, we were lucky that we even went to school there, so we had some preschool education there and some early primary there. Yes,
5: I can remember midnight, feasts. We used to hide our food under the bears in the middle of the night. We used to go over to the boarding school. Naturally, this was in the school holidays go up to the attic and feast on cocktail savalows and chocolate pickies. I can tell you a lot of stories about that roof. We had a lovely time, you and I, climbing all over the roof. I can remember one day coming down from the roof via the glass cloakroom, which stuck out from the building, and putting my foot in through the glass, shattering the roof. I can remember sunbathing on the roof in my swimming costume.
3: And they remember the different people who lived and worked at the school.
5: So I can remember solo parents being taken in, and they used to help our mother with the housework. So I can remember a lot about the old house that we used to live in. Dad was always busy, always tired. I can remember going into his secretary's office, which was right next door to Dad's office, and we used to sneak in. We knew Miss Kennedy had chocolate frogs in her bottom drawer, and she would always get out a, a chocolate frog from her bottom drawer.
3: Granny Black's role in supporting Sholto and the school. Was integral to its success, whether fundraising or the Early Childhood Centre or other causes, Auntie Nan explains.
5: She was always very gracious when she was asked to do anything. She went on the Ladies Committee, or she was part of the Ladies Committee, who uh, fundraised a lot for the school. We used to have a big gala once a year, and I'm sure that raised a lot of funds.
3: There were precious visits from members of the Black Whanau. Auntie Nan remembers Auntie Sam and Uncle Keith Cohen in Melbourne.
5: Yes, I can, and I think they were like a breath of fresh air because I remember they took mum and dad out to one of the nightclubs and I still remember that photo that was taken at the nightclub. I've never seen dad smiling so much. He had this lovely smile all over his face and I think it was just an opportunity of getting out and relaxing and completely forgetting about all his worries and cares at the school.
3: Mere continues. And then the boarding school became dad's life. Auntie June Dwyer, granny Black's sister, stayed at the school. And Sholto's sister, Auntie Gwen, became the matron there.
4: When she came over to Australia, I I found her quite formidable, and so did Nan. She was uh, a different school from what we'd experienced over there as a person in the boarding school. But once you got to know her, she really had quite a sense of humour, like the black humour. And she she just liked a really tight ship, which was fair enough. She was very well trained. She had a few run-ins with my mother because Mum had been busy managing the school before that. And I think Mum and Dad treated the school as their family. Auntie Gwen treated it as a professional relationship. She came later, quite a lot later, and she ended up staying on after my father had his ill health and and left. And she had been a very successful nurse.
3: Halebury College is a lasting legacy of his spirit, beliefs, loyalty, educational philosophies and commitment, Mere explains. I think some of his
4: some of his speeches and his oratory really got through to some of the hearts and minds of the parents, and also the old boys, because what happened as a result of his 10 or 11 years that he was there as a principal, he actually laid the foundations of support for the school, and because those boys went out and became successful, that rebounded on the school.
3: The Sholto Black Whanau returned to Auckland in December 1953. After a period of ill health due to his thyroid, Grandpa Sholto retired with sadness, but with a longing to return to his homeland.
0: What an amazing couple the blacks were. Sholto, from a farming background, becoming the first academic in his family, a rugby blue and a champion debater. His wife Betty was an accomplished journalist. Between the two of them, they rescued Halebury from near extinction in 1942, to set us on the road to the magnificent school that we all enjoy today. And now to the Founders Day Assembly this year at Keysborough. Director of School Development and Alumni Relations, Russell Davison, does the introduction, and then Bob responds in his inimitable way.
2: Thank you, it's my great privilege today to present the 2019 Old Haliburians Association Medal, the 12th time that this medal has been awarded. The OHA Medal is awarded to an Old Haleburian in recognition and appreciation of their exceptional achievement to the community beyond expectation in their field of endeavour. And given Haliburian's history of producing outstanding students and the fact that there are over 16,000 Old Haleburians, to win this medal is an enormous achievement. And today we add the name of one of Halebury's finest ever the extraordinary jazz musician, Mr Bob Settergreen, to an impressive list of award winners. Bob's high regard and position in Australian music is unquestionable. His impact and influence in performance, composition, and education for over half a century has secured his place as a national treasure. Bob has won the respect and the admiration of recognized talents, both in Australia and internationally. He has toured extensively, both in Australia and overseas, including jazz festivals in Montreal, Malaysia, and Scandinavia. His musical abilities find him leading and working with a multitude of ensembles and groups. And he has recorded many dozens of albums and over 32 CDs. In 1990, Bob won the inaugural Jazz Award for Australia's Best Keyboardist. He has been described by a colleague as the world's best blues pianist. It has been quoted that to play with Bob Sedergreen has been described as the ultimate armchair ride. To hear him is always exciting and satisfying. In 2006 Bob was awarded the Ken Myers Medallion for contributions to the arts by the Victorian Arts Centre and he was the first musician to be awarded this award. In 2008 Bob was awarded the Don Banks Award for contributions to Australia's cultural musical identity by the Australia Council one of the nation's highest musical awards. As an educator, Bob is responsible for setting up the jazz components at the Melbourne University's Artist in Residence Scheme throughout country and city secondary schools in Victoria. And finally, the Australian Jazz Bell Awards recognize and encourage excellence in the performance, creativity, recording, and presentation of jazz in Australia in honor of one of the greats of Australian jazz, Graham Bell. In twenty eighteen, Bob was inducted into the Graham Bell Hall of Fame. It is now my great pleasure to ask OHA President, Mr Brad Hyde, to present the OHA Medal to Bob Settergreen, who will then perform for us all and then address the audience today. Congratulations to Bob Settergreen.
1: sure to keep it short, so I will. It's just an absolute pleasure coming to the block of land that the Presbyterian Church had acquired. Uh, I heard that at a school assembly. Some of my fellow students laughed. We didn't know where Keysborough was. What a wonderful event today is. I just want to say that I loved going to Halebury at certain times and these are the times. uh, Today we talk about Alan Bertham, Dickinson and Rendell and all those wonderful people and Sholto Black. I left Halebury in 1960 and basically, I was really bad at a lot of stuff. Stuff that every other boy was really good at. So I was bad at cricket, bad at football. I wasn't much of an academic. And I never knew what I was good at, although the boys seemed to think that I'd be great playing the piano behind the curtains at assembly and entertaining them. So they always used to get me to play the piano. But we had three incredible teachers, and we're talking about incredible teachers, and they were an art teacher called Ian Bow. And Ian Bow, even though he knew I couldn't draw, and I couldn't draw, couldn't draw for nuts, couldn't sculpt, couldn't paint, but he would keep me and pass me in art and keep encouraging me to play the piano and to play jazz. And of course, it wasn't considered much of a career a jazz musician, most jazz musicians you know, played in disreputable places and it wasn't thought that a jazz musician would ever own a Mercedes Benz. That's true. In fact, there's an old joke, how do you make a million as a jazz musician? You start with two million and work your way backward. Yeah, think about that. I wasn't good at all these things but I was good at playing the piano and we had another teacher called Brian Bugsy film called The Dead Poets Society. Brian Bugsy was more incredible than a teacher in that movie. He used to have us stand outside the classroom and he'd stand outside, leave the door open and go past the opening period time and he'd wait for us to walk in like a pack of sheep. One boy would get brave and go in and we'd all walk in. He taught us to think for ourselves, it was a subject called clear thinking and that really helped me a lot because I was a bit of a rebel and I needed to think clearly because a lot of stuff always going on as you know, you hear a lot of stuff but it's always good to question it. And the other person was the school chaplain, the Reverend Frank Elmore. I was a very boisterous boy and was in trouble. The Reverend Frank Elmore had that sort of calm, quiet voice. And he had something that I admired, humility. Humility. Being humble isn't being weak. Being humble, he taught me that being humble was strong. So going to Holabrie, actually without me knowing it shaped me. And so I didn't want to be a jazz pianist. I didn't want to be famous. I didn't want to have my name on honour boards. I just wanted to be happily married, which I am. My beautiful wife Ray is here with me. I happened to marry a schoolteacher. What a fool am I, eh? And after all that misbehaving, I married a schoolteacher. I'm glad you're laughing because that's what I'm here for. I'm here to make you laugh. And I'm here to not take too long. It's a big day and I don't want to get in the way of anybody. So basically, I want to talk to you. I didn't know any of this would happen to me. And I have a message for you, and the message is, if you're not the top, if you're not ducks of the school, and you're not captain of sport, do you still have a cadet corps? Hopefully not. Do you still have one? No? Oh, that's good. <laughs> I was going to say, if you were a lieutenant in the cadet corps, really, you don't know what's going to happen, but you're being shaped here at the school. You don't know you're being shaped, but you're being shaped. And if you hang in with your passion or what you're really good at, so even if you're not good at something that you think you should be, but you're passionate about it, whatever that is and how stupid it is, if you hang in with it like I did, then wonderful things will happen to you. So thank you, congratulations for going to this magnificent school. To watch it grow and to watch the students read about its history was magnificent. To be assembled with the class of 80... They're a pretty good bunch. The class of 60 were a wonderful bunch. And it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very, very much. I really appreciate getting this award. But I've got to say just one more thing and then I'll get out of here. And you can all go on with your lives. I want to thank Russell. I don't use surnames, because jazz musicians hate formality. So Russell, can you help me thank him? Peter, he's up there somewhere, who nominated me for this honor. That incredible bass player, Annette Yates, she's what we call an icebreaker because she's an amazing musician. Annette Yates, the bassist bees. <laughs> Sean on the drums. <laughs> Susan at the reception who welcomed me the first time I came here. and it'll get boring if I keep going on. Enjoy your work, enjoy your school. Remember, just be passionate. Bye.
3: Thank you,
5: Bob. What a character. It's an honor to have such a distinguished guest show us the way in life.
0: Mm, how's that for a response? The music was an original composition called Opportunity, which Bob recorded on his album, Deeper Green. And wasn't his address an outstanding example of the humility he was talking about? And now here's Bill with the answer to the quiz.
1: Thanks, Keith. Here's the answer to today's question. The OHA medal has been awarded on 12 occasions, and the first winner was Lex Lazary.
0: Thanks, Bill. Hands up if you got both answers. Well, that's it for this 15th From the Archives podcast. The next episode should be coming your way in April please remember that your feedback is what keeps us going. If you've got a comment to make or a story you'd like to tell, please get in touch. This is Keith White signing off from the Archive, Series 1, Episode 15, March 2020. Thanks for listening.